Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Features and Analysis Writer. And I'm Emily Bird, Editor of Third Sector, the UK's leading publication from the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each week we sit down for a quick-fire conversation about the interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. And this week we're discussing charity lotteries. And as ever, we've got a good news bulletin to finish off. But first, an interesting little story which has just started to occur in the last couple of days about the homelessness charity Shelter, which is hoping to try and raise awareness of homelessness over the Christmas period through Premier League football matches. So the charities asked the Premier League to allow its players to wear their away kits when they're playing at home during matches which are going to be held on Boxing Day. So Shelter initially approached teams hosting matches on the 26th of December in the hope that the initiative will raise awareness of the more than 180,000 households that have been made homeless since the start of the pandemic last year. The charity also hopes to encourage fans to get involved on social media with the hashtag NoHomeKit. The teams who were approached by Shelter obviously asked the Premier League whether it would bend its rules on Boxing Day to allow the campaign to go ahead. So far, the Premier League has responded with a statement reiterating its rules and adding, clubs are entitled to support charitable causes and we encourage clubs to do so provided it is in compliance with the Premier League rules. So they're not refusing to bend the rules, it just sounds as though they are not going to bend the rules. I think this is one of those ideas that is brilliant in part because it's so simple. It's just, it's really smart because it costs absolutely nothing. It's just, we're going to have 11 men on the pitch wearing different colour clothes to the ones people were expecting them to wear. Um, But yeah, it's going to have significance for fans because they understand the symbolism of home kits and away kits. And, you know, you're going to have commentators repeating it and explaining why they're doing it. I think it's actually just going to have a real impact in terms of getting that message across to your audience. I think it's, it, it is an absolute masterstroke and it's, yeah, incredibly clever. They're a very good campaigning charity shelter. I have to say a lot of what they do is so effective. Um, and the charity has not given up in this effort. Uh, they're being very public about their hopes to still run this campaign. Um, and they are hopeful that public support for the move will persuade the Premier League to change its mind. So shelter isn't refusing to stop asking. They're just not going to stop asking. So yeah, good luck to them. Uh, yeah, here's hoping. Because I think, I think it'd be a really nice thing if, that, if that's what happens on Boxing Day. I think, I think it would be really, really effective. Each year, the fundraising regulator produces a report that analyses all of the complaints it has received about charity fundraising over the past 12 months. It also looks at the number of complaints received by the 56 largest fundraising charities in the UK over that same period. This year's annual complaints report, released in September, found that complaints about digital fundraising to the biggest 56 charities had tripled in the past year, and complaints escalated to the regulator had also increased. In many ways, this is to be expected. As the regulator acknowledged in the report, the pandemic meant that most charities had increased their online fundraising and moved a lot of their fundraising activity online. So, of course, there were more complaints about that fundraising method because there was more of it happening. But one thing that was really surprising to come out of this report was the rise in complaints about charity lotteries. According to the regulator, lotteries, which include any kind of raffle, tombola or sweepstake, were the ninth most complained about fundraising method last year. And this was the first time they have been featured in the top 10 list. And we need to make it really clear at this point that we are only talking about a very small number of complaints. Just 10 complaints in total made it to the fundraising regulator. But we thought it'd be interesting to dig into it and see what's going on behind those numbers and why this issue should suddenly arrive on the regulator's radar. So later on, we will be hearing from a charity about their experiences of running lotteries during the pandemic. But first, we are joined by Gerald Oppenheim, who is the chief executive of the fundraising regulator. So hi, Gerald. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Emily. Hi, Rebecca. Good to be here. So 
For starters, um, Gerald, tell us a bit about kind of what your sense is of how important lotteries are as a fundraising stream. I think your introduction made the key points that with the difficulties that charities have faced very obviously over well over a year not being able to do person-to-person fundraising in the street or on the doorstep or at an event, um, digital fundraising and the use of lotteries and free draws has inevitably grown because it it, it is one of the ways you can raise money and uh, charities were doing that I think more and more during the period the period when we were all locked down and then as we began to come out of it this last summer no so so there so essentially i think the argument there is that just you know potentially these did become more important in terms of fundraising because we were seeing those other very you know widespread uses of fundraising methods being eliminated you you know it was impossible to exercise them so perhaps we saw like an uptick uh, in the use of lotteries as an alternative Yes, I think that's right. And I think the other factor, though it's very hard to pin down, is that the large charities that can afford to spend on television promotion uh, were advertising I guess more on independent television, Channel 4, Channel 5, all the variety of channels they have, and uh, more and more adverts for lotteries uh, came up there. I think the other factor as well, and I'm sure we'll touch on this as we, we talk, is the rise of the of the free draw alongside the lottery. You know, for a lottery, you have to pay for a ticket. A free draw enables you to enter for free just by sending in a postcard, let's say, uh, to the promoter. And of course, on television, we've seen some free draws with some very high value prizes in recent months. Uh, And that, I think, has probably uh, sparked interest in the way in which lotteries and uh, those free draws are being used by charities to raise money. And we did see stuff like that being shared on um, Money Saving Expert and things like that, because we talked about that on the podcast a few months ago with the... the, um, Did you hear about the case in Yeovil with the free car? And somebody, somebody said in 2000. Oh, yes, indeed. The chap who entered (laughs) the 2000 entries who, who, and he succeed, he succeeded in killing the free draw because it became unsustainable. Yeah, exactly. Um, so to, so to go back to the complaints report, what are the nature of the complaints that you're seeing? Again, quite difficult to pin down. Some of them are because the people who complain or have a concern aren't sure that the lottery or the free draw they're they're seeing on their television or, or have had a f- bit of post about is genuine or is ethical. And that's partly driven by the fact that as with most of uh, this sort of fundraising, unless you're at an event and can see the winning ticket being drawn out of the hat, you're not aware of quite when the prize is going to be drawn, who's won it, how do I find out whether there's a second or third prize that somebody's won. So I think there's a feeling of Perhaps unease would be a good way to describe it, that somehow this method of fundraising isn't quite right or isn't quite ethical or even for some people isn't quite legal, which of course is absolutely not the case. Uh, These approaches are completely legal because there's law that surrounds their operation. So I think that's really interesting. So it sounds to me as though there's a piece there around the fact that actually this is really just quite a a, a poorly understood method. People might not actually know 
that lottery draws are a, a viable and you know um, legitimate fundraising channel. Certainly, it's you know not something I know, knew very much about before I started working at Third Sector. So maybe there's just an education piece that needs to happen there for the general public. I agree, Emily. I think that's right. If you see a, a, a large charity promoting its lottery on television, you could check with the charity, though, of course, because they're advertising on television, the chances are that it's absolutely, completely above board because they've not only, the charity's not only going, going to meet the requirements of the Advertising Standards Authority on the advert and what it says and what they're promoting. Uh, They'll have checked, of course, that uh, all the Gambling Commission requirements are being met and it's the Gambling Commission that polices the lottery's end of this. Interestingly, and again, this is where it gets a bit geeky, I'm afraid, although the Commission regulates the lotteries, the tombolas, all of that, where you pay for entry... What the Commission doesn't do, and don't ask me because I don't know the reason for this, but I think it's it's somewhere in the legislation that, that, that gives rise to this. The Gambling Commission doesn't regulate a free draw. The free draws, by default, in a way, come to us. So some of the complaints we get are about lotteries and within the Gambling Commission's remit, so we would refer those over there. If it was a complaint about the nature of the advert, then of course the Advertising Standards Authority is there to pick that up. But if it's a free draw, it's more likely to rest with us to to have a look at. But again, if the complaint about the free draw is about the ethics of it, or somehow it doesn't feel right, that I'm afraid is not a complaint we can really investigate because it's a matter of of opinion rather than uh, there's a breach of the code of fundraising practice which we would rely on to uh, judge if if a breach or had had taken place or something untoward had happened. Yeah, I was, I was going to say it feels like there's a little bit of that kind of screamish of well I just don't like this fundraising method therefore charity shouldn't do it which obviously is not necessarily the rules um, particularly. Yes, that that's right. I mean, there are a lot of things that any of us might not like, but that doesn't mean they're wrong or illegal or anything like that, or that something's gone wrong. We have to respond in that way sometimes. And uh, of course, the complainant or the inquirer might not like that very much. But it is a fact that, uh, you know, lotteries and free draws are really quite highly regulated. And charities that can afford to run them or be part of them know they've got to get that right. But of course, the same would apply to a much smaller local charity running a society lottery for its own benefit. You know, back in the days when you could have your annual event, your charity ball, your event in the the village hall to raise money for your local charity, and you'd have a raffle as part of that, almost certainly. And people probably wouldn't raise an eyebrow at any of that because it was quite a normal thing to do. It's just, I think, through lockdown in particular, which has driven so much of a change in the way charities have had to fundraise to to at least bring some money in, that it struck more people as something we don't really understand. So with all that in mind, what can charities do to reduce the chance of getting complaints about their lottery activity? I think they need to make sure that they're doing everything, firstly, that is in line with what the law requires of a lottery. And 
the first port of call on that is the Gambling Commission and all its guidance. Uh, we've got the Code of Fundraising Practice as well, which references all of that and the free draws end of it. So do have a look at that and make sure that the arrangements that you're putting in place, both to sell tickets and or allow a free draw, and that you're being clear about what's on offer by way of a, a prize or prizes. Be clear about when all this is going to take place. So when are the lucky winners going to find out that they've won something? And above all, that um, if somebody wants to complain to the charity, that the charity's complaints process is very upfront and clear about how someone deals with that. Because if they're not happy with what the charity says to them, then of course they're going to come to us as the second port of call uh, to try and get something resolved. So finally, I think a charity should make sure it's got policies or statements uh, about the lotteries on their websites, um, that the charity's also clear about something that is becoming a concern certainly to us at the regulator, that they've got policies about problem gambling and vulnerable people because it's really difficult if somebody is in one or two of those categories and they're watching television at home during the afternoon and they see an enticing advert to take part in a, a lottery for a charity that they perhaps know a bit about. They might do so in a way that is, isn't helpful to their own well-being. Lotteries as a fundraising method they do bring benefit to charities. They have done for a long time. And it's really important that the public has confidence in that because it's not just regular donors to a charity who would want to buy tickets. It might be a member of the public uh, who's attracted by the prize as well as the cause. Uh, so that, that that's an important point to bear in mind. And it is a good way to sort of start that relationship, you know, with a, with a new donor, possibly. Yes, absolutely. Because there's some, I think, anecdotal evidence that if you can start a relationship in this way, you can build it so that somebody becomes a more regular donor. And at the other end, uh, it might leave you a legacy. Um, there is some evidence that that happens. That's really interesting. That's a really, really good point. Plenty of food for thought there, yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Gerald. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks, Emily. So some really interesting thoughts there about the importance of these lotteries to charities, how they may have you know, increased in importance during the pandemic and in, and in quantity, and about what charities can do to avoid those complaints and ensure they're complying with all the different regulators that are involved in that area. So I also spoke to Carmel Hudson, who oversees lottery fundraising at the Essex and Hearts Air Ambulance Charity. I started by asking her how important lottery fundraising was as an income stream for the charity. Okay, so our lottery is a very important income stream for Essex and Hearts Air Ambulance. Um, to be perfectly honest, without it, we would not be able to operate. Um, we introduced it over 23 years ago, and we have an approximate income of just under £10 million a year. So that is a really important uh, income generator for us, and it's proved to be really, really successful over the years. Brilliant. And so, yeah, does this rise in the number of complaints that the fundraising regulator has seen chime with your experience over the last year of kind of the public view of charity lotteries? 
No, I don't think so, to be perfectly honest. Having read the report, I was quite surprised at that it was included as the sort of the top 10, to be perfectly honest. Um, and when I've sort of dug a little bit deeper into the report, the one th- experience that we actually had about um, our lotteries and when we were out, especially during COVID, and that to me was more important with the number of complaints, that we actually received very little complaints throughout last year. Um, and of those, they were mainly because perhaps the PPE issue, social distancing, that sort of thing, but certainly not about the type of lotteries that we offer. We have a a general lottery, which is a weekly lottery, and we also have raffles three times a year. And we don't get any complaints about that at all. And so I was really surprised that actually it was listed um, as as I said, as the top 10. Okay, that's very interesting. And yeah, so from your point of view, what are the benefits of running lotteries as an income stream? Obviously, as you were saying, it's quite an important one for you. But yeah, why is this a good income stream? The main reason I think that all charities are going down the lottery route or a way of regular giving is that we can never really tell on a sort of weekly basis if we're doing general fundraising. So that's standing outside a shop or a store or with a collection tin or bucket as we were able to do obviously before covid so we'll talk about pre-covid really is that you can never tell how much money you're going to get into that bucket we have runners that run for us in the london marathon and other events you never know how much that money is going to raise with lotteries lotteries are basically a regular income people commit to paying one pound a week um, and over a calendar year that's 52 pounds a year so we will know actually on a weekly if not monthly basis how much money is coming into the organization so I always equate it to your sort of general household bills you know how much money you're going to get in your salary so you know how you can budget through that month through that year and that is why lotteries are really important because we can tell on a monthly basis even weekly to be perfectly honest how much money we've got so that what we can actually do to you know support our local community with our air ambulance and a lot of charities prefer to go down that route because of the regular and the constant income okay so it essentially is another form of regular donor giving for you oh absolutely and there are two aspects i mean we have regular giving we have a, a fantastic regular giving program here at essex and hearts air ambulance but there's also, I think with a raffle or a lottery, there's that always that sort of, hmm, I might be able to win some money. Now, you know, charity lotteries, society lotteries, as, as they're known when you're registered with the Gambling Commission, the money that is actually won each week can vary from, say, about £1,000 to, say, two or £3,000. It's not life-changing, but it can add a little element of fun. I mean, we have a number of prizes each week with our raffles. We have those three times a year and we have £3,000 as a top prize. They're not life-changing. But nice to have. Nice to have that an extra £3,000. Absolutely. And when we give the phone call to our winners, you know, they're absolutely delighted that they've won some money. And and a lot of the time, they actually redonate the money back to the charity. Oh, wow. So, yes, a high proportion. And when they donate back to the charity, they can gift aid that to us. So the difference between regular giving and lottery is that lottery is a a product that you're purchasing, so you can't actually gift aid the money that we raise. Mm. 
But with donations, and people like to say, gosh, you know, I hadn't expected to win £1,000 or £3,000. I'm going to donate £100 back um, because that makes them feel good. Um, But there is that element of winning. I think with any raffle, you know, I'll I'll buy a raffle ticket or a tombola because you always think, oh, I might have that chance of winning, but supporting a good cause at the same time. So that's the key thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and sort of thinking on this about the the players or the donors, however you want to kind of think about them, you what is it? What are the benefits that lotteries are offering them? Why do they enjoy it? And what does it do for their relationship with the charity, do you think? Well, for us, um, and I can't talk for other charities, but certainly a lot of charities um, and us especially, it's possibly sometimes the first time that they would have supported the charity. So they would have met one of our colleagues out and about. They might have seen a link online and thought, oh, okay, I've meant to support and this is a chance of doing it. And once they join our lottery, we can then support them and hopefully persuade them to perhaps do some fundraising in a slightly different way um, throughout their journey. We call it a supporter journey um, when they're with us. So it may be that they join a lottery and then they might buy some raffle tickets in the future. We then, with their consent, and obviously with GDPR, crikey, you know, you have to make sure we've got all of their consents, as as I'm sure you know. But once we've got their consent to either email or letter, then we can keep them up to date on the work that we're doing. And because we're a local charity, people like to support local. And so we keep them up to date. Um, You know, we tell them how many missions that we've done in that month or the last couple of months. And, you know, we might hopefully stimulate them to support us in a different way that could be doing a festive fundraising which is what we're doing at the moment throwing themselves out of an airplane if they so desire (laughs) run the marathon you know that sort of thing so it's it's just trying to keep them sort of interested and and with us so that we'll keep them a little bit longer than perhaps if we hadn't kept that communication going no absolutely and yeah kind of creating a relationship is is sort of the holy grail with with more donors and maintaining that relationship and fundraising absolutely so Bearing that in mind, but then bearing in mind, we also have seen this this rise in the number of complaints about society lotteries. What advice would you offer other charities about running their lotteries effectively and avoiding some of these complaints and discomfort that, that clearly there is out there among some people? I mean, one of the things that you know you highlighted there, you said actually society lotteries, and obviously we are a society lottery, we have to be registered. Um, but the report does also it was quite general about the word lottery and raffles. And so there are lotteries and raffles and prizes that are out there that aren't actually regulated. So I sort of am questioning the number of complaints that there really are. And I think it would be worth digging a bit further as to the type of complaints that there are. So earlier in the show, we did speak to Gerald Oppenheim, who's the chief exec of the fundraising regulator. And his kind of he did sort of explain that, look, there are... The stuff there are things that are regulated by the gambling commission and there are things that fall through the cracks and therefore are regulated by the fundraising regulator and so you know we're the people that they would come to about those sorts of complaints there um so yeah so that that makes a lot of sense that yeah that there is there is a, a difference between the types of lotteries that are going on i mean to be perfectly honest um advice to other charities is that we at Essex and Hearts Air Ambulance um, use canvassing companies. They're third party um, companies that provide staff that actually go out and talk to the local community. So the real thing that you've got to make sure, and this is something that we are a real stickler for, is to make sure that the companies that you're using are high quality and that they offer 
very good training and backup for the canvassers when they're out within the community. So what we make sure that we do is that um, we vet the canvassers, we make sure that they're properly trained, we make sure that they know and understand all of the Gambling Act relating to -to face-to-face fundraising and also the fundraising regulator rules and codes of conduct. That is really, really important. Um, We have regular meetings with them. We've actually got one in a couple of weeks' time where we've got them coming to the airbase, which is fantastic because it's the first time we've been able to do that for 18 months. But it's just keeping that um, relationship going. So you've really got to make sure that you use a good quality company. We mystery shop. And we can do that in a number of ways. We can actually um, have staff, volunteers. Um, they will actually just check up that what they are saying and how they're presenting themselves is how we would want them to present themselves. Because the thing is, when you're using um, staff that you cannot monitor on a day-to-day basis, they're representing the organisation. They're wearing our branding. So they will presume, nine times out of ten, that they're actually paid employees by us but they're actually not they're they've been supplied by another company so it's really important to mystery shop that can be done over the phone and again when we ring our supporters we say hi you know and especially as we will know who they've spoken to because we keep a very close eye and we can say oh how did you find so and so when they were out when you you signed up at and that again it makes us as an organisation look very professional um, and it keeps that sort of um, communication quite seamless and like that is really important so that's one thing that I would say and make sure that you know you check up on them all of the time if you have got a canvasser that you find that actually you're getting a few complaints or a few feedbacks that are not as good take them off the account straight away because all you need is one rogue individual that will actually just ruin the whole of your reputation of your charity and if you've spent years developing it or you're quite early on in introducing a lottery the last thing you want to do is to have a company that is actually poorly representing you so that would be if you're going to do face-to-face fundraising that would be a very important aspect to it the second thing is i would just just keep the communication once you've signed up your lottery players keep communicating with them um, as long as you've got consent so that you're keep again keeping that communication um, door open so that you're keeping them up to date with the information and make sure that the information that's provided to them is accurate so you know don't come out with sort of really sort of strong statements about things that you do if you actually can't do them so you know make sure everything is followed up so that's around things like both kind of when the prize draw is going to be and how it's going to be done and 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 you know what what the prizes are and that sort of thing and then also things like you know we're regulated and this is how and this is the important information there is that that, that the sort of thing you mean Absolutely, because the the key thing is you've got to make sure that you are open, honest, and transparent. I mean, you know, following the you know the the, the key things from the Gambling Commission, you've got to make sure that you can give as much information to the supporter. Give them the opportunity if they've signed up that they can cancel straight away, that they're they're not guilt tripped into joining. Um, And, you know, I've received quite a few phone calls in the last few weeks because of the financial situation at the moment. And they have dreaded ringing us up because they don't want to cancel, but they have to financially. So again, you know, have that understanding and empathy with them and say, well, I totally understand that. Thank you so much for your support. And if you are able to support us again in the future, you know, 
keep us in mind, but don't put pressure on them. And I think that is really, really important. And make sure also because of GDPR, a lot of the supporters don't understand a lot of the time about, you know, data protection and things, or they might over understand it and get really, really strict about things. So just make sure that when they're signing up, um, whether it's online or whether it's face to face with a fundraiser, then, you know, make sure that you've got all of their consent and they and you reiterate it at the time and say, can we phone you? Can we email you? Can we send you our newsletter? So that they have an understanding. So that having looked through, you know, some of the um, documentation that is in the complaints from the regulator, one of the things that they're talking about is direct mail and, you know, over bombarding them. So you've got to make sure that you get it right at the beginning. Because if you don't get it right at the beginning, that's when the complaints will start. And they will associate potentially that the complaints have started when they signed up to the lottery. So if you can actually get it right at the beginning, fingers crossed, these complaints potentially might be that, oh, well, I didn't mean to be bombarded every month with emails. You know, I only want to hear about lottery. Um, And plus explain how the direct debits um, are working out. Direct debits can be a little bit confusing, especially if you're talking to perhaps older generation when they understand what a standing order is. They don't understand what a direct debit is and there is a difference to it. Um, So again, it's just explaining how it works, how often it's being paid um, and they can cancel at any time. So it feels like a a lot of basically complying with a lot of the requirements of the fundraising code of practice, a lot of the requirements of GDPR. It's just making sure that you are compliant and you kind of have got that sort of fundraising hygiene going on almost. Oh, absolutely. And And I think, you know, if, if you've got those at the beginning, so if you're setting up a lottery and setting up a lottery is a minefield, it, it really <laughs> is. I'm not saying it's an easy thing. Um, yeah, I've, I've done it and there's lots of paperwork and lots of understanding. But if you get it right at the beginning, then you shouldn't really, you know, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, have too many complaints. And you're always going to get a complaint. There's no doubt about it. You can be as lovely as, you know, as lovely can be, but you'll, you'll, people will always complain about something. You'll complain about air, you'll complain about, you know, the grass is the wrong colour. Um, people will always do that. Um, but I think if you get it right at the beginning, then that to me is a good start. Brilliant. And that, that seems like a good place to leave it. So thank you very much for joining us, Carmel. Thank you. So each week, as ever, we are bringing you our Good News Bulletin with a positive or a quirky news story that we've spotted in the sector. Rebecca, what have we got this week? So this week we've got an interesting little nugget, which could have wider importance to other charities. Um, So the charity fundraising platform DontSendMeACard.com is a platform that essentially... People can direct, if if people can say, rather than sending me a Christmas card, I would like you to go to this website and pick a charity to donate to. I'd like you to make a donation in my name instead. Um, And they report that that donations in lieu of cards have doubled through their site year on year for the past four years. So they don't give any figures in the press release about, you know, what that actually means in concrete terms. But I just thought this was a really interesting um, idea for charities to, to take a look into about, you know, that particularly with environmental concerns growing, maybe people don't want to be sending little pieces of card to each other in the post and having to have that, you know, transported in vans you know, across the country every year just to say, dear so-and-so, Merry Christmas, love me. 
perhaps perhaps there is there is a, a, a room there for charities to to kind of take advantage of that so um they offer as i say this this platform offers the facility to send digital greetings after making a donation of what you typically would have spent on printed cards and stamps and like i say not necessarily an advert for this particular platform but maybe this is something that other charities can be thinking about because obviously charities do make money from christmas cards every year and maybe this is an environmental option you know that, that may appeal to a lot of people i think it's a really nifty little idea you know, and 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 just doing the the, the price, the equivalent price of a, a stamp and a card is uh, it's that's lovely. You know, really short, short, sweet, and simple. Also, I mean, I quite like this idea because I have a lot of packs of Christmas cards sitting in sort of you know in my spare room. Where every year I go, this year I'm going to be a proper grown up and I'm going to send out Christmas cards to everybody. And do I actually send out Christmas cards? Do I do that? Well. Well, if I did that, there wouldn't be a pile of different types of cards <laughs> in my spare room at the moment with that. So, yeah, I, I kind of I do sort of think maybe this would be something I should I, I'll just I'll, I'll pretend it's a moral option. And really, it's just my intense disorganisation. So, yes, that's a fun little thing for charities to think about. Well, it will soon be the season. It will soon be the season. We'll be back with another episode soon so make sure you subscribe to this the third sector podcast on your favorite podcast app to be the first to know about it until then i'm emily burt i'm rebecca cooney a massive thank you to our guests gerald oppenheim and carmel hudson and our producer Lindsay riley at rethink audio we'll see you next week <laughs> <laughs>